0: Thank you. You outdid yourself last week. I know I kind of applied the pressure there, but apparently you went out immediately and, and bought out half of Lakeland, filled that gym up and on Monday afternoon we loaded everything up and by Tuesday morning it was on its way to Cypress Lake United Methodist Church in Fort Myer. Marcus Zillman, the pastor there, wrote to me and said, Thank you for doing this again. You have been outstanding in your response, and I'm so grateful. As I said, um, we are not a church that doesn't understand what is being talked about in the book of James. You understand that faith has an expression in our good deeds, in our works, and I'm grateful for that. But today we're talking about welcome. It's not unusual for you and I to welcome people we know to be, you know, kind to them, to greet them. We do it all the time. But what about people we don't know? Those what we would call strangers, people we don't know yet? The Bible does not mince words over this. If you wonder what we're supposed to do, it's very clear. We find that we are to welcome all. Take, for instance, Hebrew Hebrews chapter 13, verse two. Now, as you read this verse, it reveals something quite amazing. Do not forget to show hospitality, or the other word is welcome, to strangers. For some have welcomed angels without even knowing it. I've learned over the years that those strangers, what we would call potential angels, come in many shapes, sizes, and colors. Charlie Porter showed up one day. He was a stranger. He looked a bit different from everybody else in the church I was serving. I'd been at the rural church in Oklahoma for about three years the day that Charlie walked into my office. Of course, I greeted him and said, can I help you? And he said, well, I need help. I need help filling out this job application. That was my first time meeting Charlie. Charlie struggled with a number of things. He didn't really read or write well. He had recently been in jail. And he suffered from some brain damage that was caused by being abused as a child. Life was hard for Charlie. But Charlie was trying. So I sat down with him, and I helped him complete his job application. And, of course, through all of that, I got to know Charlie's story. As we finished the job application, I said, Charlie, would love to have you in church. Why don't you come? Well, he did come. And everyone noticed that Charlie was there. He sort of stuck out. Now, maybe one of the things was that Charlie's clothes were a little tattered. Or maybe it was that Charlie was a black man in an all-white church. That kind of stuck out. Charlie came and sat on the front row. He's right there every Sunday that he came on the front row. He sang with us. He prayed with us. He worshiped with us. After that first service, I invited Charlie back, and he kept coming, not all the time, but he would show up from time to time. And then one day he said to me, Pastor, I want to be baptized, and I want to join the church. Of course, I said, let's talk about it, because we want to make sure you understand what you're doing when you make that commitment. And we did, and we planned for the day. Now, on the Sunday that Charlie was to be baptized to join the church, Bill Wolfe was my lay leader Bill was kind of a catty-corner neighbor to us. He was a retired railroad railroad engineer from Tennessee. My wife and I will tell you, he was just a very kind gentleman. He lived next door to his elderly uncle. His uncle, one day as we were talking, because his uncle lived across the street from me, revealed that he had been part of the Ku Klux Klan while in Tennessee, the KKK. So I kind of knew where he was coming from, what his mindset was. And though I don't ever know that I figured out where Bill was, but I kind of think he was sympathetic to his uncle. kind of felt that way. And it struck me as the service began, as Bill began his announcements and the opening prayer, that Bill himself might have some doubts that this one-time stranger now wanting to join the church— Uh, a black man might be problematic for him. So we went through the service, and it was time for Charlie to be baptized. I invited him to come forward. He jumped up eagerly. He was so excited about the day of his baptism. But I looked over, and I saw Bill sitting next to the piano. And if anybody can look uncomfortable, Bill did there was something going on there that I think I knew what it was about because Charlie was on the verge of being the first black person to join this all-white church. Now, I don't know but it's possible Charlie was one of those covert angels. But I did know this, that myself, the folks there, claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ which meant that Charlie was to be welcomed and loved by all of us, everyone in the church. That's the command of Christ. And Bill was squirming over there, so I did something spontaneous. I asked Bill for some help. Now, Bill looked shocked when I said, Will you join me and help with Charlie's baptism? And stiffly he walked over. I said, Bill, can you hold the water? I can do that, he said. But he was clearly uncomfortable. I asked the questions. You've heard them many times since we've stood here by our own baptismal font, the questions of faith. And Charlie, without hesitation, enthusiastically answered yes to all of them. He was ready to commit his life to Christ, to be baptized. And then it was time to baptize Charlie. Now, in our tradition, it's the pastor who does the sacraments the consecration of the communion elements puts his hand in the water or dunks the person however they're doing it it's the pastor who does that and we do it with a laying on of hands when we dip into the water we put that water on the person's head but i noticed that bill was still standing there so i don't know i was going against the tradition I guess I thought if somebody doesn't like it, then go ahead and fire me, but we're going to do this. So I said to Bill, Bill, would you put your hand in the water with me and would you lay hands on Charlie? I want you to help me baptize him. By the way, I didn't get fired, just in case you're wondering, but it was a tense moment for Bill. This is the intersection of what he thought about people like Charlie And what he thought about the love of Jesus Christ. Charlie, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I said that, I glanced at Bill, and I'm here to tell you there were tears in his eyes. Something was stirring. Strong emotions were stirring in Bill. And as soon as we finished baptizing, Charlie, who was kneeling at the communion rail, jumped up and hugged me. And I hugged him. And then... He grabbed Bill. He hugged him. Tears and all. He said, thank you, Mr. Bill. I love you. I think that's the day that Bill changed. Because I heard his response of love. I saw his genuine hug. I don't know. Perhaps unknown to us, Charlie was an angel. We were entertaining him, welcoming him, without even knowing it. But I do know this for certain. There was a miracle that took place that day when we welcomed Charlie into the fellowship. I want you to hear something, because being hospitable, welcoming, is a command from God. It's not just an idea. It's not just good manners, Hospitality is the word that conveys the living and loving presence of God. Karen Mains was writing about the difference between hospitality and entertaining. Hospitality, she said, aims to serve. Entertaining puts things before people. It's kind of like saying, Welcome to my home. Go ahead and admire and tell me how wonderful it is. That's entertaining. I've pulled out the best for you. Aren't you impressed? But hospitality is very different. It declares, whatever I have is yours. Welcome. Hospitality is to be personal. It is to be intimate. It is a witness to the love of God. We read in First Peter 4, be hospitable one to another without complaining. You, you know why that's there, don't you? Because people sometimes are reluctant to be welcoming. Why are they here? Look how they're dressed. Have you heard about them? Not acceptable, Scripture says. Welcome one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. And whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies. Boy, I will tell you, Bill understood that phrase that day. Because he was going against years of tradition and strong feelings that he'd grown up with, his culture. And it was only the grace of God, the strength that God supplies, that allowed him to take that step forward. And to finally let go of something that was so toxic in his life. When we do so, God is glorified in all those things through Jesus Christ. We call this Christian welcome, hospitality. It is fundamentally a witness to the love of God. People learn about God by how you treat them. I mean, those of us who say we are followers of Jesus, that's how they learn about God. It doesn't stop there, but often we're the first... Entree into the loving presence of God. And you know this. You're not going to find that witness in a cold, unfriendly, dead church. People don't want to attend dead churches. That's why they move on. Dead churches are those churches where you feel no warmth, no welcome, no love when you attend. If you think about the early church, it was fundamentally dependent, urgently dependent on the hospitality of its members. And to this day, no greater gift can be offered than when we open up our home, our church, to a stranger. That's how some of us came to know the Lord. We stepped in through an invitation, or maybe we looked it up, or just randomly came, but somebody said, Welcome. Come on in. Sit with me. Peter goes as far to remind us that when we are welcoming and inclusive, even of strangers, that we are sharing the incredible gift of God's love. Peter tells us that God has given us the privilege of being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's an amazing verse because it makes it clear that God has given us a precious gift, that which we call grace to share. You know what grace is. God's undeserved, no strings attached unconditional love and remarkably when we are hospitable when we welcome we convey that gift we get to hand them god's love it's not not us but we're pointing towards the savior and when we do that lives are given hope lives are strengthened lives are saved charlie found restoration it didn't mean his life was perfect but boy there was something stronger there that wasn't there before Charlie found love through genuine welcome. Can you help me is how it started. And Charlie's wasn't the only life change that day. I don't know. I think each of us has to do the inventory. Is there anyone that we think should be excluded from the church, from the body of Christ? Is there anyone that you think really doesn't belong Now, if you look at Scripture, it doesn't parse out an exclusion. We're left with this assertion, this strong command that all are to be welcomed. That's the struggle for many churches today. But there's an important reason why we're to welcome all. The huge redwood trees in California are magnificent. They're amazing. They're the largest living organism on this planet. Some are over 300 feet high, some over 2,500 years old. Now, you would think those big trees would have a tremendous root system, maybe going down hundreds of feet, but that's not the case. Like those water oaks in Florida, they have a fairly shallow root system. How in the world do they stand up when the winds come? When the storms push against them, where well, the root system is interlocked. These groves of trees, they just twine their roots around each other. In other words, they hold each other up. They're not alone. Each tree independent. They are bound and woven to each other. They support and protect each other. In other words, each tree is important to every other tree in the grove. And that credible support takes place in our lives when we are living as God intended us to live. There are some folks who might walk in this door today, next week, the week after, whose roots are pretty shallow. And they're in danger of toppling over. It could be a relationship that's failing, an addiction. It could be anger, hurt, depression. I mean, there are many reasons why, but... Doesn't it make sense that we would invite them to twine their roots, their roots in with ours so that they would be strengthened and stand firm in God's love? In the church, it begins with that welcoming grace of hospitality. We invite all persons. Let me say that again. All persons. To sink their often shallow roots into the soil of God's love. To intertwine themselves into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and into our fellowship. This church is not first about us. It is first about the love of Jesus Christ. And we want people to know that. But how will they come to know that love if there's an impediment somewhere? Maybe the impediment is that we didn't invite them. We just thought, you don't belong here. We don't want those folks here. That was Bill's problem. But I will tell you this, without Christ, the church is nothing. And without fellowship, that is, that welcoming love of Jesus Christ, the church is useless. This remarkable strengthening of the church begins with hospitality. It sounds simple, a welcome Is really that powerful. It is a way of conveying the manifold grace of God, Scripture tells us. So let me make it personal this morning. Are you practicing hospitality? Are you welcoming others and in so doing reflecting God's grace? I saw in this church a remarkable expression of Christian welcome. Early on when I came... Often I would come to this service and see sitting right back over there. George, is that you back there? On that back row. Raise your hand. That's where he sat. Right there. Right in that corner of the back row. Audrey, you remember who it was? Fred. You remember Fred Thomas? Fred got my attention right away came in the summer of 2007 would often find him in the sanctuary. Not every Sunday, but he was pretty easy to pick out. He was disheveled, bearded, dressed in several layers. He always had on that heavy winter coat, even in the hot summer. I was once, I was to learn that Fred was once a a brilliant chemical engineer. I think a lot of you didn't even know that. But he was. I had at one point made contact with his family, he, at an early age, had moved with his family to South America to work for a chemical corporation. Fred and his wife and his children were happy there, at least until Fred's behavior began to change. And it got really bad. Family had to move back to Florida. Fred had to quit his job and eventually be placed on disability. You see, Fred would hear and see things that weren't there. There. His behavior became erratic, bizarre, and Fred was diagnosed as schizophrenic. It made a mess of his life. But there's something about this church that Fred loved. And often at night, he would sleep somewhere on the grounds. Fred was homeless, preferring to avoid others. He wouldn't go into a shelter. We tried, he wasn't going to have anything to do with that. I was to learn that often, especially on the really cold nights, that folks in our church would leave the door open. Kind of give a hint to Fred that if it gets too cold, you can go in that that room there. It's warmer. Fred would sleep there, sheltered from the cold. And then one night, while he was sleeping here, a crisis erupted. Two men broke into the fellowship center right behind me. They were intent on stealing some electronic equipment. The story was to feed their drug addiction. But they broke in, and in an effort to cover up their crime, they set fire in the piano. And it wasn't long before it turned into an inferno. Fred was here, and he woke up. And he hurried over to the fire station, which is just a couple of blocks from here. And he told them, my church is on fire. He showed them, and they came. And by doing so, he saved the rest of the campus, especially this sanctuary. And the fire investigators told us later that if Fred had not done that, that organ that you love so much, that loft, this sanctuary, probably would have been lost. Fred was a hero. You see, somewhere along the way, Fred had joined the church. Oh, He was very different than... You know, what you would normally expect. A man who slept out in the open, schizophrenic, dressed strangely. But he was a member of this church, and I will tell you I watch people love him and speak to him and care for him again and again and again. He was delusional, but he was loved. He was welcomed into the church. It's messy when you start welcoming all of God's children. But it is my prayer and goal that all people coming to this church will find welcome and salvation and love. That's what Fred found. Of course, not every behavior is acceptable. There are times when a person is doing something that will hurt another person, and that must not be allowed. But short of that, everyone is welcome. That may be hard to do. Fred, because he slept outside, had a very distinct odor. That just came with the territory. Charlie, who had been in prison, whose skin was a different color, he stuck out. And he acted childlike sometimes because of the brain damage. And there may be someone in our church whose lifestyle is very different from yours. And that might be a struggle for you. You know, it seems that in every generation, there is the potential to develop that list of people who might be excluded. But Scripture does not encourage us or even allow us to be exclusive. Rather, we are told to welcome all, to be hospitable, to be good stewards of God's manifold grace. Recently, and perhaps you have as we have, have watched churches rupture over who should be allowed in a church. They have torn themselves apart. It's awful to see. It's terrible, and it's contrary to what we are commanded to do. Folks, you and I know that it's easy to slip into judgment, to exclude and to ignore, when in actuality, Scripture calls us to welcome, to love, and include. Here's what it comes down to. Hospitality is not an option. It is a command from God. And when we're willing to welcome others with the love of Christ, then lives are changed. And the manifold grace of God is unleashed. I have seen that happen. I saw it happen in Charlie's life. I saw it happen in Fred's life. And in countless others. When we become those who bring that manifold grace, gift of god's grace lives are changed forever and what a gift that is let's pray forgive us lord if we in any way have acted to be exclusive to leave people out to turn our backs on them to ignore them when in fact we have a great gift to share with everyone It begins with a very simple thing. Welcome. Help us to be that welcoming, loving church in every way that people will come to know the love of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. So being welcomed is very personal to me. I've told you before that I've moved 36 times, which means that quite often I was the new kid, the new person there. And it's interesting to watch how churches respond. Every church has a personality. In some cases, they just look askance at you. Don't come anywhere near you. It's not a comfortable feeling, by the way. It's awkward. And it is not the thing that prompts me to come back, ever. But in some cases, they welcomed us. They made a beeline to us. They saw us. Glad you're here. My name is... We got to know them. And that's where the relationships were formed. I'll tell you this about my wife. I've never seen anyone better than reaching out to the new person, the stranger. Nancy has a remarkable gift of grace, and she does it over and over and over again. But it should never just be the preacher's wife. It should be every one of us. So go and be hospitable, for it is the Lord's command to welcome all. For in so doing, you are expressing the manifold grace of God's love. Go now in peace and go in love. Amen.